Hey everybody, it's Dave from Nerdonomy. Before you get a scholar-level education on Nerds on History, I wanted to let you in on a secret. We have another podcast called Nerds on Film. That's right, a podcast where hosts Brian, Sean, Kevin, and Sarah discuss films at a not-so-scholarly level. It's a great time talking about films to no end. So while you finish this history podcast and wait for the next one, check out Nerds on Film. Rated R for violence, pervasive language, and partial nudity. Sound check. Check one. Check mic one. Sound check one, two. Sound check one, two. Um, how you doing, Brian? I'm fine. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm a little tired, but I'm... Are you sure you're feeling all right? Oh, I'm just fine. Oh, yes, I am. You do realize you're singing. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes. Brian, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. How was rehearsal tonight? Oh, it was good. We ran act one. It was a quite a bit of fun. Oh, I can't wait for Les Mis to be done. Yes, me too. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am not singing. And neither am I anymore. <laughs> I am Eric Brickman. And I am Brian Moriarty. That was, that was lovely. Oh, thank you. It was lovely. I've tried really hard to be a good singer. I have <laughs> taken lots and lots of voice lessons. <laughs> Actually, it's just me singing in the car incessantly. Is what it all starts in the shower yeah. and ends up on Broadway. That was actually your idea. It wasn't mine. Believe it or not. I know. Folks. I know. How can you can you imagine such a thing? But yeah, I thought it would be really funny because, well, you often sing. You just break out in song whenever you're doing a show because that's just in your brain. And you were you were singing and humming in the car when we went to go get food, and it it kind of triggered in my memory. I was like, hey, you know what, that might actually work, and I kind of developed it on the way back to the nerd cave. And I thought it was funny. So we're we gonna talk about the context of, of that cold open. We're just gonna let it sit. Oh, I thought we already talked about you being in Les Mis. No, I don't think I don't think the public knows that. <clears throat> See, I, I just think people would assume. I just assume everybody knows every detail about my personal life because you know now that we're you know celebrities. celebrities with this whole podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, keep dreaming. <laughs> honestly, how was the show going? Show was going well. We just we actually did just do the run of Act One tonight, which oh. is uh, interesting. It's definitely got some work to do. Our uh, our music director had almost had a conniption uh, toward the end of rehearsal. Oof, those conniptions. Gotta yeah. Watch out for them. But other than that, considering we only started rehearsal two weeks ago, we're mm-hmm. doing surprisingly well. The fact that we've already got the entire show blocked, we're just now doing run-throughs. Yeah. Two weeks in and we don't open for another six is awesome. That means we can do lots of work and tweak it. That's a hard show, man. I mean, it's an opera. You're singing every word. It is. And not only that, but on top of that, it's just, it's a big show. A lot happens. There's grand spectacle. There's marching. There is gun battles that take place on stage. There is... And it's an opera that you're singing in English. So if you screw up, the audience will know. Exactly. Well, the good news is that, uh, as I was kind of hinting at in the cold open, is that, (laughs) (laughs) as with most operas, the melody just kind of repeats itself after Mm -hmm. a while. Like, there's like maybe, and those who are more knowledgeable in opera, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but 
there's pretty much like 10 melodies in an opera and they all get repeated in some fashion or and get re- and get re-lyricized in uh, later songs. So that bit I was doing is, is is a pretty common piece that's done for ominous dialogue. That's like that that's the ominous dialogue uh, melody for for the whole show. Well, isn't that lovely? It is. It is very ominous because any moment now we know there will be a burglar who will come. <laughs> <laughs> Not interested in anything in your house. Just just visit visit us in the near cave. Just to say hi, really. Yeah. Yeah. Not to actually take anything. Mm-mm. Yeah. We we live very very strange lives, don't we? We do. We have bizarre imaginations. We do. It'll be the fourth burglar this month. <laughs> <laughs> well um, then. I don't know where we're going with this. I have no idea either. We should probably start talking about things that make more sense. <laughs> Uh, uh, should we do listener feedback then? Of course. Uh, go ahead, Sean. Cue up that music. This week in listener feedback. Ooh, I love it. I love what he's done with it too. I just I love how he's 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 made it kind of an old time radio sound. Yeah, I like that. I think I'm meant to be sound that way. If I could walk around with a voice synthesizer and just sound like that all the time, I would be very pleased. I think people would be confused, but okay, let's do it. I don't care. I would be very pleased. Okay. Yeah. So what do we have for the? For the feeding of the back. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> the feeding of the back. The feeding of, we are in a bizarre mood tonight, listeners. I apologize. Folks, we just had In-N-Out Burger. Maybe that's the junk food is messing with our brains. I don't know. It's, it's gone straight to our hearts and then pumped up further, further into our brains. We're yes. not responsible for what happens the rest of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, this is going to be a really good episode, I promise. Please don't turn off <laughs> the recording. <laughs> it will get better. <laughs> well, uh, first off, I want to actually, before we get into the actual listener feedback, I want to thank somebody, someone that you and I know and love. I want to thank Dave McGuire. I want to thank Dave McGuire, our Nerdonomy uh, co-host on Nerds on Film for quite some time, who's now taking over our Facebook and social media realm and Twitter and all that. He has just been doing a really fantastic job of engaging our audience. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are um, members of our Facebook page, if you liked us and you've been responding to all the great trivia questions and other great stuff that uh, Dave has been throwing out there, that's the awesome person who's been doing that for you. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Dave real quick and thank him for all the hard work he's doing. Because a lot of that feedback that we do have this week actually does come from our Facebook page. So I want to thank Stephanie, uh, who we already thanked on Nerds on Film earlier this week, but I want to give her another uh, shout out here on Nerds on History, who was participating on our Facebook page and, and won one of the contests that we had going on there. And uh, in doing so, we would pretty much say or do anything that she wanted on the podcast within reason. Uh, and so happy birthday to her boyfriend, Owen. Uh, it was his birthday earlier last week, and we just wanted to to give a shout out to him upon her request. Do you want me to sing him happy birthday? I think that would be atrocious, but I think you should do it anyway. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I think you should do it. Why the heck not? We've been doing it for the whole first part of this episode. What's his name? Owen. Owen? All right. This is my favorite version ever, okay? Okay. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. All right, I didn't say leave. Sorry, sorry, I, I got a little excited. I, I could see that. <laughs> Again, listeners, we're in a bizarre mood today. <laughs> Bear with us. I swear we'll make it through listener feedback. Uh, anyhow, Stephanie, thank you so much. We love your participation on the Facebook page, uh, and we love the awesome picture that you sent us uh, being mauled by a bear. 
uh, not actually. <laughs> what? <being. laughs> Have you not seen the picture? No, I haven't seen the oh, picture. I'm, gonna, I'm showing Brian the picture right now. Oh, wow. And this, she's not actually being mauled by a bear, but she does have a large stuffed bear pretending to attack her, and I think it's it's truly fantastic. Okay. Uh, so anyhow. It's pretty cool. Again, thanks very much. And moving on to our next piece of listener feedback. Uh, this one comes from Brett. Uh, Brett's actually given us a shout-out before, I believe. He uh, has. He has indeed. But uh, he wanted to let us know that he's still making it through all of the uh, the back archive that we've got up, all the... Almost 50 episodes. I believe this is what? Is this 5-0 today? This is 49. Ooh, we're so close to 50. Uh, and he has a request to do uh, secret societies. And this is something that we've talked about. We've touched on it a little bit when we talked about our um, our history of the uh, National Treasure movies and their, <laughs> and their horrible inaccuracies. Yes, and, indeed. We did talk about that. And the, the Masons being one of those quote-unquote secret societies or what have you. Yeah, we definitely wanted to do the episode, but it... It's a big topic, so we've been waiting for the right time and for us to do the research, basically, to get the episode out. Yeah, so it, it will be coming. Uh, we promise, Brett, we'll have it out there at some point. But bear with us, because we at Nerdonomy have all sorts of things you know, floating around in our brains. And sometimes your great listener suggestions uh, take a little while to come to fruition, but they oftentimes Here's do. Here's an idea, actually. Yeah. Um, October 13th. Whatever day is closest to that, because that was the day the Templars were all systematically arrested and... Many of them executed. That might be an interesting day right. to celebrate the anniversary of it. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it on the air. Brett, hey, in or around October 13th, you're getting your episode on Secret Societies. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, we have a message from Hillary, and Hillary has lots of very nice things to say. However, uh, due for time constraints, I will be paraphrasing a bit. Anyway, it says, hi, Brian and Eric. I'm listening to the current episode, and I'd like to suggest Crash Course on YouTube. And this is, of course, in reference to our last episode uh, where we were essentially asked a question by one of our listeners if there were any YouTube channels that we like to subscribe to. And we didn't really have a whole lot to talk about. Uh, but she, uh, being Hillary, that is, has a uh, suggestion for you, and that is Crash Course. It's produced by Thought Cafe, formerly Thought Bubble. Uh, and they do kind of a half-and-half half science and history you know, presentation. So it uh, sounds pretty interesting. I haven't had a chance to check it out just yet, but I will definitely uh, give that a look. Uh, also, she has some suggestions. Uh, she would like to hear some episodes dedicated to, her words, various cool chicks from history. I think that's a great idea. Uh, she says especially from uh, Europeans and Americans, but I think we could do it for around the world. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, doing like a, you know, cool chicks, women in power, uh, influential women of the world. That one will definitely be an upcoming episode. Uh, she also would uh, be interested in hearing uh, a little bit more about uh, the history of Islam, uh, history of the Philippines, history of the Olympics, considering we have the 2014 Winter Olympics coming up. And uh, she had a really great suggestion uh, for the cultural impact of tea, which I thought would be pretty neat. And then she finishes by saying, again, just wanted to say I thoroughly enjoy both podcasts each and every week and have been shamelessly plugging them to all my friends. Good for you, Hillary. Thank mm -hmm. you. We love that. Of course uh, we do. She says, as long as you produce content, I will read, watch, listen. Uh, the podcasts get me through weekly drives to my cello lessons and soon bus rides to college every day for I am moving in a week. Hey, cool. Congrats. Uh, head off on to college there, become an amazing human being, and go out and, and do wonderful things in the world. We support that. And uh, thank you for continuing to play an instrument. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, it's, there's a lot of musicians now that aren't finding work because orchestras are being replaced by machines, unfortunately. Hey. Which can produce amazing sound, but... Just so you know, 
I play a wicked garage band cello. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the best part of this email, though, this is the part I love the most. If you are ever in Minnesota, let me know, and I will gladly treat you to a hot dish and coffee cake. Yours truly, Hillary. What's a hot... Just like literally just like you're going to give us a, a dish that is hot? Yeah. You, you haven't had that before where you go to someone's house and they just take a dish and they put it in the microwave for about three minutes and then they just hand it to you and it's scalding hot. <laughs> You've never done that? No, that's never happened to I me. think it's a thing in Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. A hot dish, as in a hot dish of food, like a like she's going to cook dinner for us. Okay. All right. You've never heard that before. No, I, I guess I have. Yeah, it's just, I guess the way it was said, I... Figure, figurative language was just lost on me a moment ago. So Apparently so. <laughs> but the coffee cake, you understood the coffee cake. Yeah, I got that. Coffee cake is good. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> <laughs> also, just a couple things. Um, folks, again, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode uh, when we give a shout out to Dave, but our uh, Facebook pages are becoming even more lively than they have been in the past. So if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and like us on Facebook and join in the conversations. We're having... Uh, you know, all sorts of great uh, activities every day for you to participate in. Uh, and, then, of course, don't forget us on Twitter. Come mm-hmm. and say hi. We'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. Our Twitter accounts exploded the past uh, week. Yeah. Particularly. So. Alrighty. Well, shall we jump into today's episode? Yeah. Let's. Uh, and what are we doing today? We were talking one night, preparing to do a totally different episode. Completely different. Completely different episode. We were originally going to do tonight's episode on wedding ceremonies. Right, because you had just been to a wedding. My friend Valerie. And I just uh, celebrated my, my anniversary not that long ago. That's true. Yeah. Yes, we had. So we were thinking about the idea of different wedding ceremonies around the world. That's not what this episode's going to be about. <laughs> it's not at all. Uh, because we were, we were just kind of BSing, getting ready to talk, and then... Well, we were recording cold open. We were, Not this cold open. Yeah, Again, we a totally were, different we were cold recording open. a different cold open. We yeah. actually were like in at the mic, ready to do the episode, and we're like, "No, it's, it just doesn't feel right." Yeah, and then all of a sudden, coming from the sky, like the voice of God, came this dude, <laughs> and it turned out to be my next door neighbor who was throwing a party next door, <laughs> and everyone had moved into the backyard, and they were all having a dude bro moment and <laughs> kicking back some beers and having a good old time. It became so loud that we couldn't actually record. We couldn't record. We had to we had to hold off on it. So we, we were kind of, you know, quietly mocking them. <laughs> and then finally I, I got curious, so I looked up the history of the word dude and it was fascinating. So we decided we were gonna devote uh, our entire episode tonight, or the what was left of it. Uh, <laughs> to the use of or to the origin of slang words. Yeah, because we use them each and every single day. And you know, they are a very important part of many uh, many people's cultures and daily routines and things that make them who they are. Uh, a lot of us have absorbed, you know, what has been traditional slang words into words that have become proper words, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now the lines have blurred between what is a proper word and what is a slang word. Um, but the truth is... Particularly with the dawn of text messaging. Oh, ooh, Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is a heatedly debated one as well, because... Uh, it's not my book. N- well, really? No, it isn't. It isn't. I use proper English when I text. I have a full keyboard have, for a reason. Well, all right, true. But you cannot deny that you've done the LOL. I haven't done the LOL in about five or six years. Really? I, I, I made a deliberate decision not to. So if I go back through all the text message history that we have, I will not see an LOL? No, you'll see lots of ha-ha-ha-ha-has. No. But you won't see an LOL from me. Really? Hmm. 
you might right. see you you might see a Lameo. That would that one I I can't get rid of. But lol, it just it <laughs> it is totally no. I I, I do not lol. <laughs> one does not lol. One does not lol. <laughs> one ha 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 has. That is the proper way to do it. Yes. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I admire you for that. I continue to lol, so to speak, or L-O-L. I'm not going to call it lol. I think that's stupid. I'm not going to call it lol. I'm just going to call it L-O-L. Uh, because it's easier. It's quicker. And that's the whole point of slang, isn't it? That is why slang was really invented. And if we're talking about slang, we have to acknowledge its origins. And the truth is, slang has existed long before the term slang even came into existence. From the moment we developed language, we developed speech. That's true. Yes. But I think it's also important that there is a, and this is where the lines are being blurred, to go on this tangent about text messaging. I think slang is more spoken and, you know, not really written. That's true. That is true. And the trouble with text messaging is it is literally text speech, right? Like you are well, you are writing as if you were having a conversation with somebody. True. But, I mean, obviously... Text message, I think, is meant to be very intimate. It's meant to be more along the lines of we are sitting and having a conversation. And that's why I think text oftentimes emulates the patterns of speech. And it's frivolous nature, because speech doesn't have to be as carefully guarded as grammar, unless you're Victor Borga. And let's not forget that those shorthands were developed because of necessity, right? You know, when there was a 160-character limit on all cell phone carriers... Mm -hmm. You know, and you had a keyboard that wasn't a keyboard, it was a dial pad that you had to sure. force it to do certain keys. You had to find a way to quickly and efficiently get your message out, right? Yeah. Uh, back to the Schmurgersburger. I'm sorry, what? The Schmurgersburger? The Schmurgersburger? The Schmurgersburger. No, no, we shouldn't do that. We're going to piss off our Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Victor Borger, or the Great Dane, as he should properly yes. be known, who's well, not Danish. Swedish, by the way. No, he all. wasn't. No, he was but Danish. we were sounding very Swedish chef when we were talking. Well, you are. Oh, so you're what you were you the Danish chef or something? Exactly. <laughs> Victor Borga had this fantastic routine that he used to do, where uh, he would actually place punctuation sounds when he was speaking. Oh, phonetic punctuation, right? The phonetic punctuations, and I just thought it was it's fantastic. Pretty funny. And if it wasn't, if we had a system like that, we probably wouldn't need slang words because Eric, we'd have a proper grammatical structure to everything we do. Can you do me a favor, just to get people an idea without explaining the context? Would you mind it? Doing a, uh, a sentence in phonetic punctuation. Okay, so I, I'm going to do this like Victor Borga did it. I'm going to totally rip off his routine because it's so classic that I, I don't want to butcher it. So uh, anyhow, in the system, a sound like a period is... Got it? Mm-hmm. All right. A dash is... Okay. Uh, an exclamation mark is a vertical dash with a period underneath. So it's... <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and then you have a comma, which is... And if you have quotations, it's two comma sounds. So it's, unless you're left-handed, then it's. (laughs) A question mark is. (laughs) So that's the screeching of the making the dash. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally is the colon. (laughs) So what's a semicolon? (laughs) Okay. So I'm already amused, but let's let's go for it just to to put the button on Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. In the open window, there suddenly came light. Beautiful Eleanor sat alone, dreaming of but one thing. Two years had passed since she met Sir Henry. She could still remember the happy evening 
when her father had thrown him out. They had been sitting in the park, <laughs> and Henry had said, Darling, this is the first time you have loved. <laughs> Eleanor answered, Yes, but it is all so wonderful that I had hoped it shall not be the last. Excuse me, my iPad's getting a little messy here. Hold on, let me, let me clean it off for a second. I think that's good. I think that's good. Do you want to keep going? I want to finish it. Want I want to finish, finish it. it. Oh, God. We're going to finish it. Okay. Suddenly, she heard a well-known sound. It was he. In two strides, he was near her, embraced, kissed, and caressed her. <laughs> Henry! What is love? She asked. He answered. Well, I couldn't live without... Hold on, let me count this one. She asked. Where have your thoughts been? He answered. With thee, my maiden. Suddenly, he had gone. All she heard was the well-known sound of his departing horse. <laughs> That's brilliant. I would like to dedicate that to the great Dane himself, Victor Borga, who did it considerably better than I did, uh, mind you, all those years ago. But, uh, yes. <laughs> it's just... Well, thank you for indulging me. Yes. <laughs> that was probably the most fun I've had in the podcast so far, and I've had a lot of fun in the show, but that was you awesome. You could do that as a normal interpretation piece. Seriously. Oh. You could you could take that and you would you would bring the house down with that. Oh, thank you very much. Maybe we'll have to do that as part of like a not alive neuron. Like some event. sort of beat poetry reading kind of thing. Oh, that'd be hilarious. Some nerd poetry reading. We just I will do that. I'm going to do that. And now, Eric Brookmark with Victor Borga's phonetic punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a tangent that was. Anyhow, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is this this is a. Folks, this episode is a three-point turn in the middle of a corkscrew. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little, little crazy, I know, but all for good reason. If we didn't have systems like Victor Borga, of course, uh, in our language, then we would have to develop slang, which, of course, we do, because a system like Victor Borga's would just be too messy to actually have in regular conversation. It's true, we'd be spitting on everyone's faces all over the place. Exactly. People would have conversations from feet and feet away. So, with that, we've taken words that are... Well, perhaps difficult to say, perhaps words that um, we can shorten down in their meaning, phrases that don't have to be fully explained, that can be pulled down into a single word. And the truth is, many of those slang words got their term slang, which is a derogatory term. It's not a nice term. It's not something that you would associate with proper and friendly language. I think the, the actual proper term is colloquial. Correct. Whereas with slang, it's kind of the dirty words. It's the words that are unsophisticated, so to speak. And that's kind of how mm -hmm. they started out and how they were perceived. But that's not entirely true, is it? No, not really. There's, over time, as they become more and more accepted, we just kind of adopt them into the language. And there's some words that, that we were talking about that are not really considered slang words today, but they were you know, centuries ago. Yeah, in their day and age, they started out that way. Now they've just been accepted as, as part of regular speech. So, Eric, what's a common word that we would normally never associate with 
a slang word, but that was. Well, how about the word cop, for example? Cop. There's a couple different origins about that word, too. That's right. Now, in England, uh, the original English use of the word cop was to steal, was to take or to seize. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of a double meaning, doesn't it? Because if you are a law enforcement officer, if you are a police officer, it is your job to not only catch the people who are stealing, um, but to, you know, take them into your own custody, to seize them yourself. And therefore, the term copper, not in terms of the metal, but in terms of a slang term for a police officer, came into existence. There's actually a couple different legends to where this word came, comes from. One is the famous, the copper buttons that were worn by the police officers in the 19th century. Commonly accepted, totally false. Absolutely false. There is the one you're referring to. There's also the one that uh, the word cop uh, has a derivative of a similar word in Gaelic. Hmm. Uh, which means protector, basically. Oh, okay. And given the high influx of Irish immigrants in the 19th century, the word cop got commonly used to associate with policemen because many Irish immigrants were getting jobs as policemen. Hmm. That's interesting because obviously the, the term copper actually predates that immigration into America. So it makes you wonder, though, you know, is it twofold? Is it really two separate things that kind of became associated it with the same well thing? It very well could be. It very well could be. Yeah. It's interesting how these words come by because legends develop around them, you know? And uh, that's actually kind of the fun, I think, is you it, does, does it really matter where the truth is in that case? Yeah. We find our own ways of justifying where the words come from. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because in 1704 is when that, that first... Uh, use of the word cop means to seize and capture. And it's probably a holdover, actually, from uh, Middle French, uh, caper, to seize, to take. I can uh, see that, too, because, I mean, the Celtics, you know, Gaelic and, and French have a root mm -hmm. because of, no, of course, because of Gaul. So, I mean, Even the Dutch capen means to take, uh, which is, again, adopted from, from an old French word, uh, to buy or to, to acquire. I wonder if that's where the word caper comes from. It's quite, it's quite possible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. The, but, uh, the, the, the heist, not the uh, food item. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke me a caper. I'll be back for breakfast. No, if someone probably got this. Someone please take this, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want these on my, on my food. This is not breakfast. This is not breakfast. Some people love capers. I think they have to be in the right dish. They're super salty. Yeah, they are very, very strong. But, you know, that's right. Let's turn this car back on, on track, shall we? <laughs> Indeed, we shall. We've been doing that a lot this episode. Uh, what have you got for me? Well, let me start with a word that we use quite frequently in California. Oh, you mean the word that started this entire conversation that led Indeed. to this entire episode? Dude. 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 Do you ever watch Saturday Night Live? Every so often. Have you seen the Californians? Of course. The skit that they do now? Did. They don't even finish it. It's yeah. just they, they, there about is the this second horrible D. depiction that apparently, like, mid-speech, all Californians, like, have a sudden stroke and then just <laughs> <laughs> and lose all feeling in their lips and just stop pronouncing <laughs> things. <laughs> it went to the four or five and then took a left turn on the Sepulveda. Uh, <laughs> We don't talk that way. We really don't. At least, not, at least most of us don't. Yeah. Listen to the podcast. We're Californians. I'm fourth generation. No one in my family has ever talked that way. Not at all. No. no. But I do say dude. We do say dude. Yeah. So dude has its origins in the late 19th century. I didn't know this. This blew my mind. 
And I thought it had something to do with animals. It has nothing to do with animals. I hmm. thought it was like the name for like a, a baby cow or something. I don't know why I thought that. Well, you can kind of associate it because of the, the phrase or the word dude ranch. Right. And dudes being associated with cowboys and what have you. Dude ranch wasn't recorded until the 1920s. So. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, so where does its origins come from then? So the place we can try to get it from is uh, 1883. Hmm. And it was a slang for a fastidious man uh, in New York City. And it's not quite known directly where or who coined the term, as most of these slang words don't really have the direct origin, just kind of have a sense of where, around where it came from. So for those who uh, don't know the, what the meaning of the word fastidious is, it's very attentive or concerned about accuracy and detail. Uh, it's been extrapolated to mean someone who is very overly uh, concerned with appearance. It was the Vogue work of 1883, originally used in reference to the devotees to the aesthetic craze, later applied to city slickers. I'm quoting um, Dictionary.com, which sounds very, very uh, weak, but actually Dictionary.com pulls from lots of great dictionaries mm-hmm. uh, that follow the entomology of words. Webster, so, Oxford, yeah, Oxford would, English. Exactly. On Oxford English, we'll talk about that in a little bit, too, because yeah. that's actually very, very important. So, uh, first, applied to city slickers. So, uh, especially Easterners vacationing in the West. Uh, for example, the Dude Ranch, first recorded in 1921, was for Easterners who wanted to get a taste of the West. So, it was like yes. a fake ranch. where are like, oh, look at the cows. <laughs> you want to get up on the cow and my, ride the cow? You can do that. God, here. Mary, he's milking a cow over there. How fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how quaint. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know what that was. I think that was like East Hampton that I was trying to do. It was good, though. Yeah, like well, it, yeah. probably some of the Hamptons like, my God, that sounds nothing like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But I would like to see a cow milked. It later on, of course, uh, circa 1970, went to be become associated with surfer slang. Mm, dude. Yeah. Dude. For any male, basically. Right. Um, and then, of course, the famous dudette. And dudette. Dudette. Exactly. Which I don't think anyone actually says. I think that was completely and totally fabricated as mockery for the word dude. I think so, too. Because I don't think anyone has ever seriously said the word dudette. No, because, uh, yeah, because I think that there was another female term that was used. I, I want to say Betty, but I don't think that that is, I think that might be from the wrong period of time. Probably babe. Babe? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine babe being a common one. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, that was fascinating. Wasn't it? And the funny thing is, if you look up dude on Wikipedia, the first thing you see is this guy with, like, this big top hat and like this very ornate clothing. I'm just like, what the frick is this all about? <laughs> there you have it. So what's your next word? Well, the next word I have is booze. Booze. Ooh, good. Yeah, the booze hooch. Is, booze is an interesting one. Uh, because as far back as potentially 1714, uh, it's been associated with drinking a lot. Certainly 1768. Uh, and it's believed to have been uh, a variation of uh, a Middle English word that was adopted from the Middle Dutch word busen, which means to drink heavily. Uh, busen. Busen. Uh, there's also this like, middle... Like you're boozing. I get Like it. you're boozing. <laughs> there's also this middle uh, high German word bus, uh, which means to swell or to inflate. Uh, and it's com- of a completely unknown origin. Well, that makes sense, because if you have a lot of alcohol, you know, you might not look so great the next day. Probably not. Yeah, you tend to swell up, especially if you have a beer gut, you know, a beer mm-hmm. belly, you drink a lot of booze. Uh, kind of how I felt the day after the wedding, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. But what I find most fascinating is that it, it was probably reinforced uh, by the name of a Philadelphia distiller, by the name of E.G. Booze. 
in addition to other drinks that may have had uh, alcohol in them but had booze incorporated into the actual uh, word for them. For example, uh, rambooze, which is a drink made of wine, ale, eggs, and sugar uh, that was drunk in the wintertime, not unlike... Um, Eggnog, Eggnog. I was going to say, aside from the wine, it is pretty much the recipe for eggnog. Yeah. And then there's a summer variant of wine, milk, sugar, and rose water that would be drunk in, uh, in you know, summertime. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of want to try that now, actually. Another interesting factoid is in New Zealand, um, from circa Rin or around World War II, a drinking binge was known as a boozaroo, which I think is kind of neat. So booze obviously has its actual association with the real word which does mean to drink a lot but then it became associated with what booze actually is which is just alcohol and while you cited your reference i think it's time that i should probably cite mine i'm actually using two so i'm using uh online slang dictionary.com to just kind of go through and find some of these more unique slang words that kind of popped out of me and a really great website called online etymology dictionary and what i love about this website which I've actually used on the show before, is that they list all of their principal sources, which are a lot of them. And what I love is, you know, a lot of them are are very uh, well-known, very well-established sources that, um, you know, you can find a full list of. I love it when they list every single thing on the website, and there's just tons of them. So I'm very confident in uh, in the information they're providing us and giving us. And I wanted our listeners to have a place to go to so they could find their own slang words, because obviously we're not going to be able to do a history of every single slang word. Right. What else you got for me? Um, well, here's one. Since we're talking about dude, let's talk about another word that would go very well with it if you see the, saw the movie Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> okay. Uh, sweet. Sweet. So you're right? just doing a history of California slang words is what you're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, we Stereotypical are California. Stereotypical California I mean, slang words. Dude. What's it say on my back? Sweet. What's it say on the back of my back? <laughs> Dude, what's it saying on my back? Sweet. <laughs> I hate that movie. You hate that movie? <laughs> I couldn't stand it. It's it's literally a series of uh, failed Abbott and Costello bits over and over again. But that's fine, though. Like, you don't think the and then thing is hilarious? And then... No? Not really. All right, fine. Sorry. I just, that movie just, for whatever reason, just doesn't okay, resonate granted, with me. Okay, I was 16 when I saw it. It was 16 when it came out, so, you know. Yeah, fair enough. It spoke to me. <laughs> in anyway, a very small way. It didn't we... really speak, more like, more like it called at me, and then I... <laughs> and you just looked in its direction. Exactly. And then forgot about it until this moment. Exactly. Pretty much. Uh, well, because, but here's why, though, because sweet has taken on so many different figurative meanings other than just what it really means, right? Sure. Because sweet refers to taste. Mm-hmm. But sweet has also mean, oh, you're sweet to say that. Oh, uh, my sweet is in, like, someone you love, right? Or mm-hmm. candy. You know, in Britain, sweets are referred to as just literally that's what their word for candy is, right? We mm-hmm. also hear cutting back on the sweets here as a way of, you know, saying, hey, don't eat so much sugar. But actually, sweet um, is kind of a, if you look at the root word mm-hmm. of it, the term sweet as being both the taste and being the, you know, Fortunate turn of circumstances. Sure. Actually, both make sense and are both kind of true to the word. Because the old English word sweet, which was spelled S-W-E-T-E, is defined as pleasing to the senses, mind, or feelings. And it's derived from the Proto-Germanic, I'm probably going to say it's wrong, svotijaz, uh, which is from the old Saxon word svoti, or the Swedish sut. And basically, in most of Northern Europe, there's some variation of, of that word. And, I mean, it goes over to, like, every single... And this site is amazing that you were referring to. It goes over every single 
variation and also alternative derivative of the word. To be sweet on someone was first recorded in the 1690s, which hmm. I find interesting. Uh, the term sweet talk, somebody, dates back to 1935, uh, thereabouts. Sweet 16 was first recorded in 1767. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet Dreams as being part of One Going to Sleep was first uh, tested from about 1898. And then, of course, Sweet and Sour in Cooking is also from about 1723. A lot of stuff happens in the 17th and 18th centuries with English. Oh, yeah. Because that's actually kind of where modern English, as we talked about with our History of Languages, of Languages episode, mm-hmm. yeah. that's where a lot of English gets kind of boiled down to close to what we see today. Sure. Right. Really, it's more like Dickens is like the closest, earliest derivative of what we see today. But there's a lot of similarities from yeah. 17th, 18th centuries. So Absolutely. That's what I have for sweet. All right. How about the word ace? Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you think Not about one used it. by anybody in my generation. Probably my grandparents would have used it, though. Your grandparents, definitely. I mean, it, it's in popular vernacular if you're a cards fan. Uh, certainly if you play poker or what have you. Right, because it, it shows that like you're the one who's really good at something. Yeah, exactly. But what I found very interesting that its origins actually meant the opposite. It meant to have bad luck. Hmm. Uh, the reason being, before it was ever associated with card playing, it was associated with dice playing. And if you had a single uh, dot on the die, uh, that was oftentimes not in good circumstances. Yeah, and, that, and that actually the word ace, I think, refers to a single value, right? Exactly. So that's one little pip on the die... Uh, which, going back as far as the 1530s is where you have, you know, some of the first recorded instances of this, uh, were associated with things that were bad luck, things that were of no value, that were negative. And it wasn't until you had, uh, you know, later when card games started becoming popular, you know, in or around the 18th century, uh, then you saw the ace as being a good card, as being something that was uh, excellent, that stood out above the rest, that was uh, you know, the hot card that you want to hold on to, the one that can win you the game. Uh, the term ace in the hole also comes in around 1904. Uh, and this is coming from, you know, that concealed ace that you kind of keep up your sleeve, that you pull out at just the right moment in order to win the game. Uh, and that's, of course, all stemming from these awful, you know, crooked stud poker games that would be going on. What I find probably most interesting about it, however, is the way that it became associated with the First World War. Uh, hmm. And that, of course, when we're talking about ace pilots. Right. Uh, and it's interesting because this probably has twofold meaning behind it. One of them, obviously, they stand out above the rest. They're excellent pilots. They're bringing down uh, others. And keep in mind, when planes were first invented and used for warfare, it was a very, very different fight than we have today. You know, we have, you know, heat-seeking missiles, and we have, you know, powerful machine guns that are attached to planes. They drop bombs and all this stuff. When they were the first planes invented. are pretty close to flying themselves at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's really, really... They're good. smart. We have yeah. drones that do exactly that. But when planes were first created, people on the ground thought they were insane. You know, the, the people would actually jump up in these things and, and try to fight and do dogfights up in the air in these things. It, it was thought to be absolute lunacy. Well, I mean, yeah, if you think about it, because flight had only been first successfully attempted in a plane in 1906... So we're talking a, um, less than that, like six, seven years later, we're using these as for battle. Yeah. Everyone's like, are you freaking mad? <laughs> <laughs> you had to be, really. Yeah. And if you could successfully shoot down somebody else who was in an opposing plane, you know, in the sky, that was that was very impressive. That's why the Red Baron was so popular. He Absolutely. Was, he actually, I remember hearing a story of there was one guy uh, who survived 
I just drive. And he was so surprised that he landed down and took a picture with him. He was yeah. like, "Oh, well, fair play to you. You 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 survived. Didn't kill him or anything after that. It's just like, nope. You 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 deserve to live. You survived my onslaught of gunfire." It's so interesting. Early airmanship, the the code of honor that was kind of established between these warring parties, uh, is something that is tr- truly of legend. But mm-hmm. it, in many cases, it's based on actual real events and reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had this tremendous respect for each other, probably because they were all absolutely insane and, and <laughs> knew that what they were doing was so extremely dangerous uh, to each side. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is very interesting, because keep in mind the theater of the First World War, where a lot of these first air battles were going on, was over Western Europe, and particularly in around France. Uh, and so the French term l'aise, which, of course, is used like as a scoring point, if anyone who watches... Tennis, for example, has ever seen anyone, right. you know, ace somebody before. It's used as a point of measurement. And that's exactly what these pilots were known as. If you had reached, originally it was five planes shot down. Later it became ten, uh, once planes had gotten better and more accurate at, at firing. But if you had achieved that uh, goal, then you were referred to as an ace pilot. And many mm-hmm. times you would mark on the side of your plane how many kills you had as, you know, a statement of posterity to, you know, show off that you are, in fact, that ace pilot. There you go. And that's actually was, there's a, I think a classic image of someone just doing that, like crossing off the next planet crash. Those are real things. People actually did that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just in the movies. I'm going to throw it back in your court. Okay. Oh, ooh, he's got a smile on his face. Yeah. Because I just said the word that I was going to use. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. I didn't even really think about it. I just. Okay. Is a slang word. How's okay. Well, okay. Oh God. (laughs) Now I'm doing it. (laughs) How is it a slang word? Okay. Here we go. Now you're doing it again. <laughs> it's so common. It is so common. We use okay in terms of all right. That is what all right was originally. And I'm sure all right may even have some sort of colloquial derivative. But here we go. 1839 is when it is first documented. And it is the only survivor of a slang fad that took place in Boston and New York, circa 1838-39, for abbreviations of common phrases with deliberate uh, jocular misspellings. Um, for example, KG for no go, or as if spelled uh, no go, as in K-N-O-W. Hmm. Um, but it really meant for like no go is like it's a no go. In this case, all correct misspelled to be O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Uh, further popularized is use of the election slogan for the OK Club, uh, which was uh, the New York boosters of the Democratic president... Martin Van Buren. Hmm. Yes. That is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, in his 1840 re-election bid, uh, it was an allusion to his nickname, Old Kinderhook. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. So, if you were associated with Old Kinderhook, you were okay. You that were okay. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Van Buren lost his re-election, unfortunately, <laughs> but the the word stuck, in part because it filled a need for a quick way to write an approval on a document, bill, etc. So the noun is first tested in 1841. The verb, to okay something, 1888, originally spelled out as the, like, well, now we over-phoneticize mm-hmm. words like that. The original spelling for okay was O-K-E-H. And then in 1919, by Woodrow Wilson, on an assumption that it represented uh, the Choctaw OK, like the, apparently there's a Native American word that sounds very similar to that. Hmm. Uh, he said, it is so, which is uh, kind of ironic because Woodrow Wilson was one of the only presidents to have a PhD. 
And yet he makes this gross misnomer <laughs> about where the word was. Uh, Having a PhD doesn't make you smart. That's true. Finally, to prevent that misinterpretation uh, with the Native American word okay, uh, they changed the spelling to O-K-A-Y, which is what we normally associate as the full spelling of okay uh, as today. Interesting. Who knew? Yes. Well, obviously somebody has they wrote it down, but still, that's fascinating. And the story continues. What? Okie dokie is student slang first attested in 1932. Greek immigrants to America who returned home in the early 1920s, having picked up U.S. speech mannerisms, were known to Greeks as uh, okay boys, among other things. Hmm. Yeah. Nothing about where the doki comes from, but I guess just because it rhymes with it. More yeah, I'm sure it's just completely fabricated. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Okay. Okay. You know, I can imagine at the end of the uh, of the night when, uh, or morning the next day, possibly when Vembrun got the uh, the news that he he didn't win the election, that uh, one of his staffers like, just came up and he's like, like oh, "Mr. President, are you okay?" Really, slaps <laughs> him in the face. <laughs> this is not the time for jokes. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. I was just genuinely concerned about your well being. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. So, um, nerds on history. <laughs> nerds on history. Uh, do you have any cash in your in your wallet? Have you got a buck on you? Uh, I do, actually. I have several. I don't have any bucks on me. But the word buck obviously is associated more often with deer than it is with anything. But how right. did it get associated with money? Do you know? I don't. And I actually would love to know. I mean, the I think the myth is that it was originally money was used as from buckskin. But I don't think that's actually true. Actually, you're right. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so... It, it, essentially, it means dollar, and it's one of its first real uses was in 1856, and it's an American English creation, uh, and it references the uh, the abbreviation of buckskins, and buckskins were a unit of trade among uh, Indians and Europeans in the frontier days of America. Oh, there you go. So it was never actually in American currency, but the figurative term just kind of carried over. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. you know, passing the buck in its first literal sense comes from 1865 uh, American English. Uh, even though the, the term buck, and referring again to a trading of currency, uh, dates back as far back as 1748. Interesting. So where about the buck stops here? What is, where, do we have any idea of where that kind of comes from? I don't, but I think it's more along the, si- the same idea of you know passing the buck. It's just now it's being used as the word for dollar. So yeah, no, it's interesting the way that the, the just little things like that still pass into our words today and are being used. Eric, when something good happens, other than sweet... What's another word you would use? Awesome. Okay. Which is fantastic. Grossly overused considering the actual term of awesome. Awesome actually drives to being you being in awe. Uh, being in awe is generally in reference of acknowledging the uh, divinity. <laughs> so something is awesome. How about uh, ubertastic? Ubertastic? Is that even a word? It is now. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, I don't know. Cool? Cool. Oh. Cool. There we go. So where did the word cool come from? My imagining is the north. Possibly tundra area? Norway? I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. All right, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Of course, we know the general meaning of the word cool, which is to refer to temperature. But um, interestingly enough, though, uh, cool has had a little bit of a journey. It hasn't always been the same slang word. Cool, uh, as far as the 1720s, late 1720s, was used to go in front of large sums of money to give emphasis to the amount. For example, if you hear the term a cool million dollars, mm-hmm. there you go. Hmm. So the meaning of where it means calmly audacious, 
comes from 1825. So for those who don't know the word audacious, because these are some words we don't see very much. We've gotten so comfortable with slang, we don't yeah, exactly. <laughs> know longer words. Audacious, showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. Okay? That guy was cool because he was able to, you know, he was unafraid to take a risk. He was so calm. Kind of like if we were to, you know, if some there's some jerk who's talking during a movie and somebody calmly goes up and slaps that guy in the face or takes his phone and breaks it, you generally think, actually, that was pretty cool, right? That would be a kind of an appropriate term of the 1825 definition. Of the word. I think you cool. as a movie buff thinks that's cool. I think me as a human being is absolutely terrified <laughs> and has probably called the police. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I love these episodes because they always bring out a little bit of Brian's psyche to the world. <laughs> a little bit. But we've all been there. We've all been in the movie theater frustrated with the, that sure. a-hole who doesn't realize he's in the movie and is talking with somebody. <laughs> you know, it happened to me when I was in a play once. I was on stage and someone started picked up their phone. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Not cool, dude. Not, Not cool. cool. It became, around 1933, the slang word for fashionable, right? Those clothes are cool. cool. Uh, and that connotation, we can assume, happened due to the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. Um, because it was popularized in jazz circles. And particularly, um, we can even, this is actually where we can attribute to a person. We think uh, it was used by tenor saxophonist Lester Young. Hmm. Or at least you popularized it and made it made exactly it more recognized. Well, so much hip, neat, cool, non-square kind of vernacular came out of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, many words that I just mentioned, uh, yeah. hip, for example, it was a code almost. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was. It was a. It was a cultural expression. It was a way of culturally identifying themselves uh, and being able to to show them to be, you know, this uh, this new phenomena that was going on. Uh, jazz had so many breakthroughs uh, in America. And it led to the whole hipster movement. And I'm not talking about modern hipsters today. I'm talking about the original hipsters. And if you've read my blog post, uh, So Hip You Don't Need a Belt, uh, I talk a little bit about the origin of hipsters and how they've evolved and changed. And the, the word hip meaning to be very on the know as part of this culture, as being very uh, cool and as part of it all. Uh, all of those words kind of originated from there and have had their, their bleed off. So we don't have coolsters, but we do have hipsters. Yeah, coolsters sounds kind of odd. Yeah, it sounds a bit strange. Yeah, hipsters sounds better. It's hip to be a square, though, I will say that. <laughs> Nerd. Um, so, okay, obviously, we could keep going for hours and hours and hours. We could. And we should definitely double back to this for it comes to swear words, because that would be a fun episode to do. We might have to have it a very specifically explicit podcast. Oh, I'm, in, I'm counting on it. That might even be like some neat uh, material to put together as a, as a special reward or donation or something like that. I don't know. Mm. We'll think about it. We'll mm-hmm. think about how we want to do that. But I want to talk a little bit about some really bizarre, totally strange ones that I found from around the world that I thought might be kind of neat to lead us into our next phase of this conversation. Okay. In Australia, it is not uncommon to hear flat out like a lizard drinking. Flat out like a lizard drinking, huh? Flat out like a lizard drinking. Okay. What do you think that means? Flat out like, well, flat out like a lizard drinking. So I'm guessing it means you've passed out? 
No. It probably has nothing to do with that at all. Absolutely nothing. It's really interesting. Flat out is actually Australian slang for the word busy. Uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, these lizards, uh, when they are seen, they're seen moving their tongues very, very quickly, kind of like a cat lapping up water or an animal lapping up water like they're drinking. Uh, so if you're a lizard and you're flat out, what are you doing? Well, you're probably just sitting there moving your tongue in and out really quickly. Uh, and that's, that's essentially, uh, what it means. You are flat out like a lizard drinking. You're, you're extremely busy. You're, you're as busy as a lizard gets busy. I've got one for you to respond to that. Actually, you ever heard the term cold enough to freeze the balls off of a brass monkey? I've heard part of that. I didn't realize brass monkey was associated with it. So we would probably immediately, because we hear the term monkey and we hear brass and we hear balls, we would assume a very crude interpretation of that. It actually drives to uh, maritime warfare. Hmm. Do you believe it or not? What? So, right? It doesn't. It doesn't belong to Green Day. Nope, it does not. No, it wasn't Green Day, by the way. It was uh, the Beastie Boys. Oh, you're right. I apologize. I apologize. So that's fine. We're leaving that one in, actually. Damn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, a brass monkey. Monkey was the term that was used um, for the device, the apparatus that would hold cannonballs on ships. Hmm. And they were often made of brass because that was how they were able to produce them. Trouble with brass is that in cold temperatures, brass contracts. So if you have a really, really cold morning, for example, the brass has contracted and now balls are starting to slip off of the monkey. The balls are starting to actually fall off of their holder. So when they say it's cold enough to freeze the balls off of a brass monkey, that's what it's referring to. It was saying it was so cold that they can't keep their their crap together. <laughs> like their their cannonballs are rolling all over all over the deck. So that's interesting. There you have it. And you guys thought it was something dirty. <laughs> Shame on you. You thought we were giving you a special sneak peek on the uh, history of bad words, but no. How about he's ripping clouds with his nose? What? Yes, this one comes from Serbia. What do you think? Ripping clouds. I have a feeling some of it got lost in translation. A little bit. You've heard the phrase, look down your nose to someone? Yeah, because it's kind of that, I th- I have always saw it as that interpretation that because they think they're higher up than you. They think they're exactly or higher you, status. You tend to hold your head up higher. We always see that as being a, a caricature of someone who's very posh, someone who thinks of themselves. Arrogance, being, yeah. Yeah, very arrogant. Yeah, exactly. And this is just simply what that means, that the, they're ripping the clouds with their nose. In other words, they hold their head up so high that they actually uh, part the clouds as they walk with their nose. Gotcha. Okay. It's an interesting one. I'll buy that. Uh, another one I found fascinating, this one comes from France. She has long teeth. And no, we are not referring to Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> she has long teeth what does it mean to have long teeth you think long teeth i mm-hmm. don't know I'm, I'm very curious to hear the answer to this uh long teeth in uh in french from the 14th century means to be hungry and the phrase teeth she has long teeth, teeth is are like longing to be chewing on something or uh, I don't know exactly where the symbolism kind of comes from, but apparently it means uh, it was associated with to be hungry. Now, what I find to be fascinating is that essentially what they're saying here is not that this woman is hungry, but that she's hungry for success, because that's what they use for women who are entrepreneurs, for women who are uh, out there to make a name for themselves. They are referred to as having long teeth because they're hungry for success or ambitious. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, in my research, I came across nothing stranger and nothing more titillating 
than Cockney rhyming slang. I have been waiting this whole episode to talk about this because I think it is absolutely fascinating and perhaps only second to earlier in this episode where I actually got to do my Victor Borga skit. This might be one of my favorite moments in all of Nerdonomy history. So, are you familiar at all with this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Only until you told me earlier before the episode. But and I, I gave you just a small smattering of it. Yeah, well, it's kind of confusing uh, to me, but Let's see if we can do it again. So, the first time I encountered this was actually on a British comedy, because you know I'm a huge fan of British comedy. Yeah, you are obsessed with the BBC. I love television that comes out of Britain, and British comedy is, of course, uh, one of my favorites. There is a really great and... Over here in America, unfortunately, very much overlooked British comedy called Good Neighbors. Uh, That's what we call it here in America. It's referred to as The Good Life in England. And I think you buy it on DVD these days. They actually just call it The Good Life. They haven't made that switch when they've marketed it in America. Um, I don't know why they did that initially, but whatever. Anyhow, in one of the episodes about this couple who live in suburban London who decide to go completely self-sufficient, so they cut off all their ties to, you know, their jobs, to having a car, all of these things. And they buy a goat and pigs and, sh- and chickens and they raise them in their backyard and they live off the land. They have a big backyard. One day there is this uh, traveling salesman who's got a wagon and horse just like uh, they had in the old days. And he's got this range on it that they're going to use to cook on. And uh, they do this whole long skit where he does this cockney rhyming slang. And I was like, this has got to be made up. This can't be a real thing, but um, it absolutely is. And it's so interesting the way that it was used because nobody knows exactly how or why it developed, but we pretty much pinpointed it to being in and around the mid-19th century in uh, the East End of London. And at that time, you know, in and around the 1840s, at that part of London, there was a lot of uh, markets that were available. There was a lot of people who were selling and peddling goods, lots of merchants, and you had a lot of people who were kind of visiting the area who were maybe not from the area. And it's believed that this form of communication was meant to be uh, passed on through the merchants so they could talk to each other without the actual person knowing what they were saying. So I need to give you kind of an example of what it means to uh, to do this, this Cockney rhyming slang. Go ahead. Uh, so for example, the word telephone is actually replaced by the word dog. And the word for this being, or the immediate reason for it is being a dog and bone phone. Okay. So if you were referring to a telephone, you would call it a dog. Because a dog has a bone. And the word bone rhymes with the word phone. Okay. So does that make sense? How you're, you're cutting out the word that's actually rhyming with it, and you're associating that rhyme word with something else, so that the person is totally unaware. Because if you said, I'm going to pick up the bone... Well, okay, if you thought about it for a second, you could think, I'm going to pick up the phone. It's a, it's a, it's a form of encryption. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Wife uh, is substituted by trouble. <laughs> <laughs> trouble and strife, wife. Okay, I go on. Eyes is by mincers. Mince pies, eyes. Wig was replaced by syrup. Syrup and figs, wigs. Uh, and this one is my favorite. Feet is replaced by plates. Plates of meat. Feet. So you could imagine a sentence as thus. It nearly knocked me off my plates. He was wearing a syrup. So I ran up the apples, got straight on the dog to me trouble, and said I couldn't believe me mincers. I forgot to mention one important one here, uh, and that is um, 
apples and pears stairs. What? Do <laughs> <laughs> you still not get it? No, no, I get it. I get it. It is a whole other level of for an American to go to England and hear people talk this way because they do still talk this way. Yeah. Um you're totally lost. One of my favorites is the word ass as in referring to somebody's butt or in, you know, in England ars, right? Mm-hmm. And it's rhymed in two separate rhymes to get around it just to make sure. And it's rhymed with bottle and glass, ass, bottle, is then rhymed with Aristotle, which gives you Eris, Aristotle. So Eris means ass by association of all these different rhymes together. Wow. That's like somebody said, hey, if you're going to call me an ass, you better make sure it's a really, really complicated one. That's they exactly went what they straight did. from like telegraph encryption to like Pentagon encryption with that one. <laughs> And it's, it just, it really absolutely fascinates me. Um, and it's become a part of popular culture today. Uh, you know, there's a lot of movies and TV shows and things like that that originate from England, content that originates from England, that still kind of hold on to these ideas of, uh, of the, the rhyming slang. Yeah, there's a famous scene in the movie Eurotrip where there's someone who's telling a story using all Cockney rhyme schemes. And the guy's response is awesome. He's like, Wow. You guys are on like a totally different level of swearing here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's not just in England, though. There is actually rhyming slang from around the world, uh, including here in the good old United States of America. I think it's interesting. One that, that developed here is um, the raspberry. Uh, and if you if you make do a raspberry real quick for a little bit. Right. So you're, you're making a, what kind of sound with your lips? I'm making a fart sound. You're making a fart sound. Exactly. Well, raspberries are tart. Tart rhymes with fart, and uh. that's where it comes from, is making a raspberry it means to make a rude sound or to make a fart, to blow a raspberry, so to speak. That's the, that's the actual phrase for it. I, It's just, you know, it's crude, but it's fascinating. It really is pretty interesting. So that's what I have to say on Cockney Rhymes. I think it's pretty fantastic. What I find interesting, when I looked up the word sweet, there were no fewer than 26 separate definitions for the word sweet. Wow. Depending on circumstance, depending on uh, structure of grammar and all those things. And how does that happen? How do these things get documented so that we can learn these things? And I think it's important to talk about well, how are dictionaries made in the first place, right? I'm definitely not an expert on the subject, but I know a little bit about how the Oxford English Dictionary is compiled. So um, I, I think it almost goes without saying that the Oxford English Dictionary is made through Oxford University. That would almost be like, oh, no, I thought it was from Cleveland. Um, no, <laughs> not at all. Oxford, of course, being one of the most prominent universities in the world, one of the finest schools in the world. And uh, what's really important is there are a lot of linguists who contribute. And if you think about what we've been talking about today, everything here is linguistics. It's learning about the roots of words and when they were developed. Right. Right? My One of my closest friends is a PhD candidate in linguistics. I think he's focusing more on Swedish, if I'm not mistaken. It's either huh. Swedish or Italian, I can't remember. But you know, basically, you know, aside from having to learn another language other than your own, you know, you have to learn the history of the word, how it evolved over time. That's you a know? huge undertaking when you consider how many words in our vocabulary these days. Right. So a lot of it is going back and trying to find documents that were written in in the old you know in old ages and hoping that you find a word is a recording of these slang words, or right. in this case, it's just any kind of word. 
right? So some of these PhDs generally who are are consulted by the Oxford Press to compile data. And it's a team of researchers who go and determine the merits of a word and whether to include it in the Oxford English Dictionary. They've gotten a little more lax with their with their words because as we know famously in the year 2000 what word was inducted into the Oxford English Dictionary? Ain't. I think ain't it was done in the the late 90s. Oh, I thought ain't was. Uh, no. Dough. Oh, dough, that's right. Right? The famous word that has literally no meaning. It's literally just an onomatopoeia yeah. more than anything. We know the very moment it came into existence. Which was in the first episode of The Simpsons, pretty yeah. much, right? Homer Simpson. The first time a fictional character that we know of has directly influenced our language, you know? Uh, that was a big deal, right? And then all of a sudden, what was another word that came out that was now officially in the Oxford English Dictionary as of uh, about two years ago? LOL. Whoa. As much as it pains me to say it, LOL is an official abbreviation now. Uh, I mean, not official. It's not like the Oxford English Dictionary dictates the laws of the English language and says no, this is right. now official. But it's become now accepted enough that it requires official definition. It well, requires written definition. Much of what is in the Oxford English Dictionary, though, is considered legal terms as well. Mm-hmm, of course. And there are different dictionaries, right? There's, I mean, you have a medical dictionary and a legal dictionary that would be totally separate than what you'd be your standard English dictionary. Because there's, in every, every language, there's m- almost millions of words yeah. that get used. But I think my point is, uh, some of those words, while officializing in, in actual legal dictionaries, can originate, first in Oxford, and or vice versa. So it is this great kind of depository of the English language. Everything that we have and hold dear in our language oftentimes is represented in the Oxford English. It's it's considered to be, you know, at the top. Of course, and because of the reputation of the school. Exactly. Right? Not the only one, though. Merriam-Webster. Sure. I'm not dissing Webster. Yeah, Nothing against them. They're they're just the American dictionary, right? They have the same dedication to finding out where these words come from and to catalog those words. What I would say is interesting is, you know, where else is really a really good, great place to know the roots of words now? Wikipedia. Hmm. And we've talked about Wikipedia tangentially on it. And we've talked about how, yes, we even refer to Wikipedia on our on our show. Most of the time, we will only do a cited article. Yeah. Right? 99.9% yeah. of the time. And, but the, here's the funny thing, though. A lot of the articles on Wikipedia now have citations on them. Yeah. And the reason for that is because there are PhDs who are filtering and checking through the content for accuracy. Yeah. You know? So when you see, if you look up a word in in, in the Wiktionary, as they call it, or uh, if there's a reason for there to be a full article on it, a lot of this stuff, you kind of trust it because the people who are writing these things down know a lot about the subject. Yeah. You know? I think when you're talking about, like, celebrities and things like that, then you have to be a little more careful with what you find on Wikipedia, because then that could be anybody just writing down a random fact. Like Chuck Norris's Wikipedia page. That that page is epic. It Um, is pretty epic. It is pretty epic, indeed. But most of the stuff, if you're looking for legitimate content, you're going to find legitimate sources. And they're still, they're all cited. They all have, even those have have citations to them. So. All right. Well, there you go, man. There you go. There's my little spiel. Well, Brian, this episode has been a real sponge. I'm sorry? Sponge. It's porous. Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is awesome. Therefore, this episode was awesome and epic, just like Chuck Norris. It's my Cockney rhyme. Yeah. Uh, This episode is sponge. Just say it. 
This episode has been sponge. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we encourage you guys to uh, go to your closest dictionary, which can usually be your mobile phone or the internet now, uh, and look up the origins of words, because you learn so much about where these words come from. Well, there was a podcast out there. Only there was a podcast Mm. out there that did this. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm Hmm. Interesting comment. Quite. Quite. Mm. Anyhow, uh, feel free to check out some of the resources that we suggested today. Uh, Go to onlineslangdictionary.com and follow it up with a visit to uh, onlineetymology.com because uh, it was a real eye-opener. And there's some really great sources that are cited on here. Obviously, there's been a lot of research done and and care and attention to this. And onlineetymologydictionary.com has been around for uh, 12 years. So they've been working on it for a really, really long time. Yeah. As any good source of information takes at least that amount of time to get done. Folks, please share with us words that you find interesting that you'd like to know, like to share with us the origin of because we would love to know you know and you can do that through our facebook page uh, on for nerds on history uh and of course through our twitter account at nerdonomy and if you'd like to tweet eric or myself uh you can do that as well i'm at brian moriarty i'm at the brickmont and uh you know hey we got listeners from around the world so i encourage you go ahead and send us a tweet of your favorite slang word from the country that you are from and uh, maybe give us a little bit of a meaning behind it and we'll shout it out on the next show absolutely also If this is your first time listening to our podcast, hey, how's it going? Thanks for uh, tuning in. We have a whole 48 other episodes you can listen to to catch up. You can subscribe to our show through uh, the iTunes store and through Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com. Or just listen to it on our website directly. Our website works on all web browsers. <laughs> and I wanted to go ahead and uh, thank anyone who has donated recently to uh, Nerdonomy. If you would like to do the same, head over to our website and click on the Donate button. All of the proceeds go to support us here at Nerdonomy. And you can also find some awesome t-shirts. In fact, we just had someone buy a t-shirt an hour and a half ago. We actually had someone donate money tonight as well. That's great. About- oh, yeah. Look at that. John. Thank you, John. Well done. John, thank you so much. And it says, just for Nerdonomy, thank you. Yes, we appreciate that very much. Um, So again, if you can find it in your heart, feel free to throw a little money our way. We're always happy to take it and use it to pay off all of our equipment and get our ceiling that we've been been looking for and pining for. Don't worry if it does rain in the winter, I'm sure. uh, I'm sure the sound quality will be fine. Uh, But uh, yeah, if we can get a ceiling before, then it would probably be a good idea. And then eventually, shoes. Shoes are a big goal for us and it's right up on the top you know those great big thermometers people that you know that you paint and you you kind of mark up to the very top shoes are right number two not for fashion we've been doing this whole podcast barefoot yeah we've been walking around barefoot we have shoes all right and we've descended back into silliness again we have indeed listeners thank you as always so much for listening until we meet again stay nerdy and tune in to us next time same nerd time same nerd channel Ergonomy.com. Fortune bye!